Welcome to Awakened and Alive After 40, a weekly podcast about stepping outside of the box and into a life that is true to who you really are. We're your hosts, Dominique and Carrie, two 40-something-year-old friends and coaches who are on a journey to live the second half of our lives with greater flow and ease. Our passion is to guide and support our clients in becoming their most authentic and aligned selves. We love digging into a variety of topics and sharing some of our insights and perspectives through our coaching lenses. We both spent the first half of our lives trying to fit into a box only to realize we were burnt out and searching for a better way to do life. We are here to remind you that it's never too late to start living your best life. Let's get into today's episode. If you've been listening to the podcast for any length of time, then you know we're all about shifting from living in a place of fear into living from a place of love. But that's not easy to do. And I'm sure that, I mean, something that we hear quite often is this place of love that is the ideal place to be living from. But how is it that we're supposed to simply cut off our fear-based thinking and allow ourselves to think more abundantly and to see more of the good in our lives and to focus on creating more love within our lives? And so this is a topic that we want to bring to conversation again, because we talk so much about this fear versus love mindset and how it guides our actions in life. So today is going to be all about how do we cultivate this place of love when we are so stuck in fear within our society? Yes. And I think it's important to touch on briefly why we all experience this fear-based thinking and why we shouldn't really judge ourselves or beat ourselves up about it because we have been manipulated in a way to be afraid of the world, to think the world is a scary place. And some of it may be warranted. Obviously, if anyone turns on the news, all you see are all of the bad, horrible things happening. But then maybe we need to ask ourselves, is there a motivation behind these types of news stories? Is there motivation to keep us all in a place of fear? Yeah, absolutely. And what I find fascinating is when you kind of look at our history throughout the world and how we've evolved over the years, it really has been where society is stuck in this mindset of lack of fear. And it's of no fault of anyone because it's really within our biology. We are hardwired biologically to really be focused on our survival. And yes, that was important long ago when we had to worry about nature potentially killing us and having to fend for ourselves. But now with modern society, we don't have these true fears, this true potential harm to ourselves. But because society has been evolving so much more quickly than ourselves as human beings, we now look at certain things in life. I mean, even like you mentioned, the news, things that are feeling like a threat to our survival, when in reality, 
they're not necessarily that, but it still stimulates that same response as hundreds and hundreds of years ago when we had to truly fend for ourselves. And so it's within our biology. And I think that's an important thing to bring up. And I think it's important to understand because that can start the process of understanding like, okay, you're not broken. We're not broken. It's simply our nervous systems trying to keep us safe and out of harm. Exactly. And even if you are someone who's aware of the news or mainstream media creating this fear narrative in people, but you're still watching normal non-streaming TV, I've even noticed when I watch TV and I see commercials or advertisements so many of them, I would say at least 60% of them are using fear as a tactic mm. to get people to buy or consume whatever it is. The amount of pharmaceutical advertisements is shocking to me. That's a huge change from when I lived here before and then moved abroad and then came back is the number of pharmaceutical ads has probably at least tripled. And just that fear that yeah. like all these things can go wrong with your body or you see so many ads for security systems and home defense and these kinds of things always just sort of covertly getting into your brain and making you think, like you said, Dominique, that we're still living in these times of survival of the fittest. We have to do all these things in yeah. order to maintain our life like humans used to have to do. But as you said, Typically, we're not faced with daily threats of death. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Especially when, uh, you know, if, if it's Tylenol that I took and nowadays you'll hear all of the warnings for Tylenol and maybe death is one of them. You're like, oh, my God, am I really going to die because I took Tylenol? And whereas the, the thing is, is these pharmaceutical companies and other companies they know, they're fully aware that they can get our attentions when it is potentially threatening. And again, that unfortunately is what they often use is that fear, striking the fear and to people in order to make money and get attention. And they're very familiar with the negativity bias that is part of the biology and it's hard to ignore that when you feel like you're being threatened, your body is going to take over. And these companies, they know that. And unfortunately it is used against us in that way. But this is also why I think it's so important for us to be talking about it because it just starts with the awareness that, okay, is this a true threat to my survival? Kind of looking at, whatever stimulus it is that is bringing this fear into your life and questioning it and asking yourself, okay, is this really something that could potentially harm me or harm someone I love or potentially cause a lack of safety? And that's something that I started to really do within my life over the years is not allowing myself to spiral out, but to pause when I did feel like something was triggering and to ask myself, okay, am I safe right now? Is this really that big of a deal? Because it certainly can feel like it's a huge threat and it can spiral out of control. 
Right. And so many people are so used to being in that space and they feel more comfortable being in this place of anxiety and preparation and, and being prepared for all of the things that could go wrong that they don't even know how to step outside of that or they're not familiar with the feeling of not being scared, of not being overly prepared, of not being anxious. So it would feel it's so foreign to them. And I know you know a lot more about this because of your training within the nervous system and understanding what's going on there. Yeah. And and it's been one of the more incredible areas that I've gained knowledge in because it's been so transformative, not only for myself, but with my clients. And one particular modality that I love to incorporate is the polyvagal theory, which is the science of safety and connection. And it's within the autonomic nervous system, which is where the fight and flight response is, this is where it all starts. And our nervous systems are on constant alert within our internal environment and external environment, seeking signals of safety or danger. And like we mentioned earlier on, because society and technology and everything else has evolved so quickly, more quickly than ourselves, things that aren't necessarily dangerous can appear dangerous to us. And so this is where having a better understanding of how you react internally within your system to the external stimulus that we are taking in is where we can begin to understand how to cultivate greater control over what we're sensing within this potential lack of safety and fear. So the polyvagal theory is something that I do a lot of practice within myself and with my clients, because it's really checking in with yourself and asking yourself, okay, am I feeling frightened? Do I feel like I want to run away? Do I feel like I want to shut down? What is this sensation that I am making up this story because of the environment or contact with an individual or simply a thought. So it's it's something where the more familiar we are about how the stimulus in general is affecting our body, then that's when we can start to shift out of a fear-based state because then we're in control. We can always rewire the nervous system. So even when it's not familiar with what safety feels like or love what that feels like, it's within our power to teach our systems what that can feel like. And I think that's like one of the most beautiful things about understanding the polyvagal theory. And isn't it even this type of disconnect within our nervous systems can be passed down generationally through generational trauma, through our conditioning, through these ideas, and just the experience of how maybe we were raised gives us this idea that we always have to be on high alert. When people start to break these generational trauma patterns in themselves, then they're not only healing their psyche and their mind, but they're healing their whole nervous system. For sure. Yeah. Research has definitely shown that 
it's within our genes that we also hold on to fear-based thinking, conditioning. It's within the imprinting from our caregivers and our life experiences. If you look at it through a human design lens, one area is through our open centers, which are the shapes that you see in your body graph. When it's white, that means it's open. So this means that you are taking in the energy and conditioning of people around you and not only taking it in, but amplifying it. So it can give you a false sense of the beliefs that you're carrying, your identity, because it feels like it's yours with an open center, but it's not. So this is where I work on understanding what is yours, what is not yours when you're looking at the open centers and becoming a screen versus a sponge when you're feeling these energies. And so I think when it comes to us saying like, oh yeah, simply start thinking more positively and then you can start leaning more into love. That is not easy to do. And not only because it's something that we all struggle with, but it also is linked to when our nervous system feels it's unsafe, it shuts down the portion of our brain, the thinking portion, and we are not able to think clearly. So it shuts down the prefrontal cortex. This is where reasoning takes place in concrete thinking. And it shuts it down because the amygdala turns on, which is our survival part of the brain. So there's no way you can think yourself into feeling safe or being happy or think yourself out of anxiety because that portion of the brain is not available. It is offline. And that was a huge turning point for myself with my journey through healing anxiety and removed a lot of blame and shame as well. So shifting from a place of fear into a place of love comes from teaching ourselves what it feels to be safe, teaching ourselves that the impact of conditioning through all of these different ways is something for us to be aware of and to work towards healing. And it starts with little small steps, small little changes is really what is going to be most ideal and less threatening to the nervous system by taking the baby steps towards the healing. I love that you brought up the conditioning because that's the place where I believe Enneagram work can really help people see and understand their own conditioning, their own ego structure, and maybe how that functions. And there are definitely Enneagram types who are more prone to this sort of fear-based thinking and anxious thoughts. Obviously, all Enneagram types can experience fear and anxiety because those are human experiences. So we all have them. But there are three types that fall into what we call either the dependent or sometimes it's called the compliant stance. And so these three types, types six, one, and two, tend to have more anxiety than the other types in general, just because of their tendency to look outside of themselves to compare if they're doing okay, or if they're in a place of safety or whatever it is that they're seeking, they like to have a benchmark to compare themselves to. And so anytime any of us do that, it can really create 
anxiety and fear because we aren't necessarily living in alignment with our authentic selves when we're comparing ourselves to others or comparing ourselves to a past experience compared to a present experience or even comparing ourselves in the present moment to something that could happen in the future. And that's where a lot of our anxiety comes from when we're projecting into the future like that. So it's really interesting. And each of these three types can overthink and think about things for different reasons or in a different way, but all their type of overthinking tends to create this anxiety. And it's interesting. I've had past clients and people in my life who once they realized they were one of these types, it sort of turned the light on for them at the level of fear that they were living in that they were really unaware of before that. So understanding their Enneagram framework and the perception of which they were trying to avoid their fears and go towards their desires was really eye-opening for them to understand better, to recognize that and get out of that pattern of thinking. I'd love to know your experience with this, Carrie, because I know you being a type one. Yes. So would you mind sharing some about that? I am a type one, which is one of these types that tends to have a little bit more fear. And I was raised in a household full of sixes, which are very fearful Mm -hmm. and anxious people. And so it was a very common place for me to live in. And I was one of these people, like my past clients, who didn't even recognize I was living like this because it just felt normal. Like we talked about before, that was my mind and my body's place of comfort is always anticipating the next thing, always wanting to be prepared. Type ones tend to think and perceive everything in such great detail that they over worry and over criticize themselves and everything around them. So that can just create a sense of anxiety because things aren't meeting their expectations and they aren't living in this place of acceptance of this is just how things are and things aren't going to be perfect. And so that is something that once I realize that myself, I am much better able now to catch myself in those moments. It's not that I don't have fear-based thinking anymore or anxiety, Mm -hmm. but when I do, I'm able to recognize it and I'm able to understand that I don't have to continue down that thought path. Yeah. I love that you bring up that it's not like you got rid of the fear-based thinking or the anxiety symptoms. I think that's an important thing to note is we're not trying to get rid of fear and all that goes with it. We're trying to build greater awareness so that we get to choose then what direction we want to go into. And I think that's a really crucial thing because for me, when I was first starting to create more from a place of love versus fear, I came in and I was just like, okay, I need to get rid of all of this anxiety, this fear, this lack, this not enoughness. And when I came to realize, no, it's about accepting a lot of these parts that come up for us, showing compassion towards it and saying, you know what? This isn't necessary. I'm okay. I'm safe right now. And I choose to go this direction instead. And again, from a a human design lens, the spleen center is a big area to kind of look at when we're dealing with fears and 
fears that come up frequently within our lives because the spleen, that's where the intuition, timing, survival instinct is really located. And each gate in the spleen, which are the numbers that are within the center, represent a specific fear. And there's fear of not knowing enough, fear of the past, fear of the future, fear of failing responsibilities, fear of life not having any meaning, and so many more. For me, I have almost every gate defined in the spleen. So I know a lot about fear in general. And actually my conscious son, which makes up 70% of our life theme, my conscious son is the gate 28, which is the fear of life having no meaning, fear of death, struggle. So when it comes to human design, I think it's beautiful to gain awareness and better understanding of what the stories might be based off of what's showing up in your chart. And we have all the chart, you know, just because it's not highlighted or defined, it doesn't mean you don't have it but it can really help you gain greater awareness of what fears are coming up and how to recognize, okay, when did I first learn to fear this? When do I first remember telling myself this story? Because ultimately I believe that we experience emotional and physical pain, discomfort, because we are not living authentically. We are not living our true selves and the fear that can come up within our lives is linked to that. And I think it's really important to recognize that the more we can live authentically, which is what I love so much about human design, it can guide you towards that and understand our conditioning, which is what I love so much about the Enneagram to be able to work with coming back to your authentic self, then it really, it switches that light switch on for being able to welcome in greater love into your life and feel safe enough to do so. Yeah. And I like how you brought up about not trying to get rid of all the anxiety and coming to a place of acceptance, because I think fear and anxiety have gotten a really bad rap and a really negative connotation around them. And then when that happens, people think, well, I don't want that. But really, it's there as a way to guide us to understand what is safe. And we can, mm -hmm. when we accept it and take control of it, use it in a healthy, productive way, rather than having it be this thing that we're fighting against all the time, like you said, and just coming to a place of acceptance with it. Yeah, exactly. What are some other ways that you have found to change your mindset or to cultivate more of a place of hope or joy or calm, a calm-based existence. Yeah, I get excited about this because, of course, I'm someone who loves to know, like, okay, what are action steps that I can take to get more of this? And what I feel is so incredibly important for all of us is to practice greater self-compassion because we tend to feel like we're alone and our struggles. And this is where loud and clear, you are not alone in this struggle of dealing with fear and working through fear. I still deal with it all the time. I have my friends, family still deal with it 
all the time. And it's something that we're never alone in. And it's really about instead of beating ourselves up about it and saying like, oh man, why couldn't I just do this? Or why can't I just feel this way or think this way or stop being so afraid of this? It's okay. Like that fear is there for a reason. But again, we get to choose when we're aware of it, we get to choose how we want to use it. And is it for our true survival? Or is it because of a story we're making up? So I think practicing greater self-compassion is a major step forward into removing ourselves from living so much in a fear-based mindset. And again, it goes back to when we can love who we authentically are, then we naturally are going to be vibrating at that frequency of love and attracting more of that within our lives. And another thing that I think can help shift us into this place, this is sort of a hot thing I saw on Instagram pretty recently. It comes from from a therapist named Helen Marie. And on Instagram, her handle is at Helen Marie, but each letter has a period between it. And she came up with this idea of glimmers. And if we can start noticing these glimmers, which are the opposite of triggers, just these little things throughout the day that give us a feeling of joy or a little twinge of happiness, even if it's just noticing a new bloom on a tree or a beautiful sky and rather than just noticing it for a split second really take the time to let it affect you and to appreciate it and feel that gratitude and i think that is something so tiny that every single one of us can start to implement right now because like we've talked about before obviously everyone has major difficulties in their lives. Some people have more than others and have so much they need to overcome. But we can all notice the beauties of nature. We can all notice the gifts that nature gives us every single day. And I'm sure a lot of us have more gifts even beyond that that we can start noticing more frequently. For sure. I love that you just brought up the idea of glimmers because that is a major part of the polyvagal theory is identifying glimmers to start introducing a greater sense of safety within your nervous system. And the concept of glimmers is something that I used in my anxiety course, Anxious to Zen, which I had last summer. And I had my students spend a day and note down all of the glimmers that came across their life that day. And then it's something I practice as well. And when we talk about those baby steps that we can take to start introducing greater safety and to teach our nervous system what it feels like within our bodies, this is where glimmers is such a beautiful practice because it is those little things feeling the warmth of the sun on your skin and hearing the birds. Like you said, within nature, we all have access to nature. We may not all love nature, but there's always something within our lives. We really have to look for it sometimes. And that goes with that negativity bias too. We're programmed to look for all of the negative, bad stuff, but we do have the ability with effort and just that awareness to find those small little things. Maybe it's a coffee cup, like your favorite coffee cup in the morning that just makes you feel 
nice and makes you smile. Like that's a glimmer right there. And I think it's just a beautiful practice, as you mentioned, to just create more of that sense of safety in those small baby steps. So that way it's not too shocking because going too big too quickly, making too big of a change is also something that can go against our intentions to move out of the fear-based thinking and creating greater safety. So huge fan of glimmers, long story short. <laughs> and another important thing to mention is anytime we can do any activity or practice to get out of our minds and more into our hearts or into our bodies, that's always a great thing. There's the typical ones that people always talk about trying, and that is meditation, yoga, breath work, that sort of thing, or even just journaling or reading your favorite book that can just sort of take you away into the story are ways to disconnect from that patterned thinking and to sort of let your body and your mind take a reset. For sure. And I am a huge fan of breath work. I use that a lot to regulate my nervous system. And that's where when I find myself in that sympathetic state of the autonomic nervous system, I can relatively quickly bring myself into a state of greater presence and safety by using breath work. Another thing that I'll add that I really found extremely helpful is inner child work. And that kind of links up to my first one about cultivating greater self-compassion. But being able to reparent yourself, to be the parent that you needed when you were younger and maybe didn't have, or maybe you had unmet needs that nobody really knew of because you couldn't even express them at the time. But this is where as adults, we can then be the ones to reparent that younger part of ourselves because the body holds on to memories. We can always allow ourselves to go back in because it's almost like a time stamp when we have these memories that aren't necessarily the best, maybe fear-based, anxious, so it's kind of time-stamped within our nervous systems. And if we can just safely, with love, compassion, revisit these parts that maybe didn't get what they needed, then that's a huge shift that inner child work can create is cultivating that greater self-love, self-compassion. And I think really, like you had mentioned, these practices of meditation and breath work can be super simple and very easy to do at different parts of the day, taking a couple of minutes. I think those are great, again, baby steps. When we talk about the baby steps to introducing safety, inner child work can go a lot deeper, of course, and can sometimes be pretty intense. So I think it is something that would best be done with somebody to assist you, whether it's a therapist or a coach, if you're really, really struggling with anxiety or fear or trauma. I know it's something that I had to do with the assistance of somebody else, but it was a big game changer for me. And one last tip that I wanted to mention is, and this one sounds really surface level and easy, but sometimes it can be the most difficult one. And that is to just become more aware of your own patterns. So when you start to see your patterns and you consciously are aware of them, then you can choose 
to continue behaving or thinking or acting in that pattern, or you can choose a different line of thought or a different behavior when you're stuck in that fear-based thinking. That's beautiful. Absolutely. That pattern interruption is a really crucial part to it. And I think, you know, it really, again, goes back to first being aware of holding more of a fear-based mindset and recognizing also that you have the ability to shift from this place and not necessarily because you're trying to get rid of it, but because you want to spend more time creating from a place of love, giving from a place of love. And it's with these small practices that we've just mentioned and so much more that we can begin to create the shift within our lives. And so when we share about really leaning into love, it is a lot of work. It definitely is not going to lie. I've put a lot of work into it, but this work is so worth it. And when we can all start to create from a place of love, that's when the world as a whole can be creating from a place of love. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please consider sharing it with friends and or family. We'd be incredibly grateful if you rated and reviewed the podcast on your preferred listening platform as it really helps. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can connect with us through our websites or Instagram, which are all linked in the show notes. We'd love to hear from you. Our theme song was written by Michael Ahrens.